Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 28. Chapter 28 in the book of Numbers. We are closing out the life of Moses. Moses had had a lot of wrong, bad things done to him. And you know, he's a humble man. And I think that, I think that he was able to just let them go for a while. But I, in, in tonight's message, we're going to see before God kills him and takes him home to heaven. Before that, God is going to see that he gets, he, he gets back at the Midianites who have caused the people and he so much trouble. Then he's going to die. And that's something God knows our hearts. And when we are able, if you look up here, when we are able, and we should be able with God's help, to lay aside all the ought that is against us, all the bad things people have said and done against us, when we can put it aside, God who is the great forgiver will bless you with that. It is so important for you to be able to be an easy forgiver and not hold things against others. Oh, your lives, your life would be so much, so much happier if you could let it go and let God. And in this case, I believe Moses let it go. He let it go for many years, and then before he dies, God's going to let him get back at the Midianites. It's an amazing story. I hope we get to it. Chapters 28 and 29, we are not, I hope you will when you go home, we're not going to read every verse. It's all about the sacrifices for sins. It's all about uh, offerings to God because God has taken them all the way from here across the Red Sea into the desert for 40 years and now up the other side of the Jordan River and they are about ready. So many things are coming to pass and through that all, God wants them to be able to stay together, and there's no way we can stay together unless we're able to forgive each other. You can't stay bitter with one another, but God can. Listen to that. In the Old Testament, God got very upset with opposing armies. God got very upset with these armies that would come at the, the hinder parts of the people of Israel and pick off the lame and, and the old while the armies were out in front of them. And God, God will, what's it say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but not ours. And I say that again because God has a short memory for our confessed repentant sins, but a long memory for those that aren't confessed and those that don't have Repentance. In chapters 28 and 29, what we have here are the importance of offerings. And God is setting them up for when they go into the promised land. They will have holidays, holy days, and offerings, and uh, all of this stuff usually 
involves the sacrifice of animals. And if you'll, if you'll, turn, if you'll turn even to chapter 29, verse, chapter 29, verse 29, it says, And on the sixth day, eight bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without blemish. What they were being taught to do was to give of their best. What's that song? Give of your best to the, to the master. And they were taught to do that. You don't pick the sickly lamb. You don't pick the sickly goat, the sickly bull. You pick the best of your flock to give it to God. And to show your appreciation for getting you from your Egypt. For getting you from your wilderness wanderings. And we all have those things in our life. And then to break out a whole new life just as we were speaking of this morning, a whole new life. And with that whole new life is being sacrificial with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And to do that, we're supposed to leave our offerings at the altar and go, and go forgive those who, have, who we're mad at. It's so important. Now, don't, I, I don't want to have just $10 in the offering plate next week while you're trying to get get nice with everybody. That's not what we're saying. But that's how important it is for, in God's eyes for you to have a clean heart, a clear conscience with God. So chapters 28 and 29 all deal with offerings of, of some sorts. And I, I don't, we, we don't need to go through that anymore. But go to chapter 30. This is a multi-subject message tonight. These, these, are the, these are the end years or months even of Moses. But in chapter 30, we see something. God wants us to be careful with our promises and our vows. And our vows. I think probably in my case personally, it's my... It's my keeping of the vows that I've made to, God, made to God or before God that has allowed me to stay up here for so long. Because if I, if I make a vow, I keep it. I'll talk about that in a second. But, and Moses spoke unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Vows. We can make promises. We can, we can and, and sometimes promises are too easily given. Usually promises are man to man, person to person. And sometimes at the loss of the promise, promissory notes, we, we might lose some material wealth or something. But a vow is entirely different. When we take a vow, we are taking a vow to God before God. That's the difference. Vows involves God, Jehovah. I want you to, uh, this, this chapter we might have to come back to. But I want you to go to Ecclesiastes 5, 
verse 4. Ecclesiastes 5. Well, let's just, let's just start with, let's start with Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Who? Solomon, the wisest man ever lived. And his, his writings are precious to us. They're pearls, they're gems. In, in chapter 5, he talks about church conduct. Church conduct, temple, how you should act in the temple, the, in the Old Testament temple. Watch this. He says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with your mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let the words, thy words, be few. For a dream comes through the multitude of business. And a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. But when thou vows a vow, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, King James. Make sure you pay it. Make sure you pay your vow. Don't break your vow. You might break a promise to me. Pastor, our church would be full. We'd have... We, we would have double the capacity, triple services in the morning if everybody that told me they were going to come to church would come to church. Amen. 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 It's just an amazing thing. And if, for Rodney and I, we were talking, a lot of the folks we marry, that's a criteria for us to marry them. We never see them again after they... After they come to our church before. Rodney even said he's not marrying anybody ever again. <laughs> Seems to be the death knell for uh, attendance. But he doesn't mean it. He loves to do wedding. What? Ah, okay. He doesn't mean it. He'll do all the weddings from now on if you like. Verse, verse 4 again. When thou vows a vow, when thou makes a vow unto God, you've got to pay it. Defer not to pay it. Don't put it off. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou should vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Again, vows. Vows are to God. I didn't know that. But I knew that in my, in my spirit, in my heart. Before 1975, one or two shelves in my refrigerator were filled with beer. And that's because of what Bonnie had to drink. <laughs> one or two of my shelves were filled with beer. I'd been in Spain 
We'd lived in Spain for like three or four years, and uh, uh, my house, eventually the one we ended up in, ended up being two blocks from the main gate. And all my friends and buddies who would go out on the town on the weekends, they would come by Dave and Bonnie's one more time for one more beer, and that was our life. That's, that's, we didn't think anything of it until we got saved. In March 1975, we got saved. And immediately, immediately we had guilt. It was, was self-imposed, but it, we had guilt over drinking alcohol. And with that said, I went to Eddie Woodfield, a missionary that we support now, my first pastor. And he shared with me all the verses in the Bible about not drinking alcohol. And uh, there were so many verses that, that because there were so many verses, I didn't want to err on the wrong side of the line. I did not want to make an error and a wrong decision. And soon after we got saved, my buddies lost out on that last free beer because we took a vow. We took a vow that no matter what, we will never drink a beer, wine, alcohol again. And we meant it. Now, I don't know where you stand on that. But this is, this is what I think the scriptures are saying to me. And I'll say this, I wouldn't be up here right now if I hadn't made that stand. You wouldn't have had me up here all this time, 20 years, if I hadn't taken that stand. You wouldn't have done that. But my dad, my father, is on his deathbed. He's not completely out of it yet. He has brain tumors, brain cancer. And he had two other kinds. And it was his last New Year's Eve. We went home to see him a lot that year. Bonnie, do you recall what year it was? 93. And my dad knew he was going to die. And he had no convictions at all about drinking beer or alcohol or champagne. And he said, Dave, I know you have convictions against alcohol, but I'm dying would you have one glass of champagne with me? We used to do it as a family years ago with him. He says, will you do it? And I said, Dad, I would love to. I, I love you so much. I, I would love to honor that request of a father, a dying father. But I have made a vow that I cannot break. It's a vow to God, not to anybody else. And that's the conviction I have on, on making vows. I wouldn't even break it for my, my dying father. Vows. In 2001, something bad happened. But before that, right here on these steps, I was on my knees at midnight. I didn't know I had diabetes. I didn't know I was even sick. But at midnight, I asked the Lord, and you should do this sometime. What could you change in your life to make yourself more useful, maybe more healthy? And I felt that 
This is stupid for you. For you, This is me. And the Lord said, you drink so much Pepsi, it's going to kill you. And I did. I always drank a boss or two of Pepsi. Grace Bible Church, where the Ebersoles are visiting from, they even gave me a they even gave me a Pepsi going away party when I left their church to come here. They filled two pickups of Pepsi. I came here in 98, so in three years we drank it all. But right there on those steps, I have never, I haven't had a Pepsi, again, Pepsi Coke products, anything like that. And I made a vow to God. I can't break it. It's a vow to God. It's not a promise. I promise you, John, I'm never going to have chocolate again. No, you don't understand, John. Because it's a, because it's a promise, okay, I might break it. Come Christmas, come Christmas, I, I might have a piece of chocolate, okay? I, I, I promise you, Chris, at Christmas time, I will not eat one of your mother's Christmas cookies. Now, it's a promise. I might work hard at keeping it, but I can break it. It wasn't to God. But vows are so holy and precious, and it's, it's just for you and God. And there may be some things in your life that... You need to not just make a promise. Things that are harmful, harmful to you, that are unhealthy. It's this morning's message. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. What you put into it, you're responsible for. So, again, that's, that's my life. Now, I took a vow to love my wife with all my heart, body, soul, and I have never, ever regretted that. And I've taken a vow to have eyes only for her. I'm not looking at others or uh, I'm looking away when, I, when it's presented there. I want to develop eyes only for her. That's, that's a vow. It's a vow to her. We make promises. Much too often that we break. But vows... When you are serious, you'd make that vow to God and never, ever, ever go back. This, this, chapter, this chapter in Ecclesiastes is really something. And we come back to Numbers chapter 30 again. And chapter 30 is all about making of vows. Uh, how to explain it? Uh, some of you have young daughters in your home, unwed, single daughters in your home. I don't know. Yes, I do. Rodney and I cannot marry anybody who... We can't do the services. Let me say it that way. We can't do the serv a, a wedding service for anybody whose parents don't approve. This chapter says that. If a, if a daughter, if a, if, if, a, if a girl, if a young woman 
takes vows and her dad doesn't approve, the vows don't count. If a wife makes vows and the husband doesn't approve, the vow doesn't count. If a single widow woman makes vows to God, there's no one that can disallow it. They count. That's what this chapter is about. And God is all about vows. He, he, he really is. And I think it is a certainty. When you are certain that you are not, I am not certain that I will not have any of Leslie's cook, Christmas cookies. I'm, I probably won't have six at one time. Okay, I promise that. Larry, when you eat Christmas cookies, how many do you eat at a time? <laughs> a man after my own heart, that's right. But I'm going to try to be disciplined. I'm going to try to, my wife keeps preaching at me, portions. Portions, smaller portions, and that's helping me a lot. But, but this, this chapter is, is about being sure. And this, and you mix in Solomon. I, I guess people were taking vows, maybe for show, but they weren't keeping them. We are to work. Sometimes it's not our fault either that we have to break vows if, if a wayward spouse were to leave us. But we have to remember, vows are to God. Promises are generally to one another. Vows are unbreakable. Don't break them. God takes them very serious. We, if we skip here up again here to chapter 31. Now, in chapter 31, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, He didn't say, and he could have, I know how you feel about those Midianites. Avenge the children of Israel against the Midianites. Afterward, thou shalt die. But first, your death wish, what you've always wanted, let's go get those Midianites. Who was that very aggressive prophet who had a talking donkey? Balaam. For some reason, he's with the Midianites right now. He's going to die in this, in the, this battle as well. But uh, and he's there wrong. Now, what did the Midianites do? Listen, if you have a squeamish heart, don't read the rest of it. Now watch, all of you will read it. Don't read all of this. But God is serious. God is serious about punishing the sinner, the sinners that attack his people. Balaam told the king to send into the to send into the tent city of the Israelites send in all your loose women all your single women I I I can't even explain it but it made God so mad because God and I'm saying this to our young women too 
God wants you to not be unequally yoked in any way. Even before you're married, don't get unequally yoked. Stay true and stay pure. If not, there are consequences. These Midianite women went in and seduced many of the Israelite men. And that was a great insult because God wants to take a pure, a pure Israelite people into the promised land, crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land. And that's what this chapter is about. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward, thou shalt be gathered to thy people. Very quickly, if you'll go back six chapters to 25, verse 17. And I'm already there. At least I was. 25, verse 17. Start in verse 16. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them. For they vex you with their wiles, the wiles of their women, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague of Peor's sake. Now, again, God is saying to keep the people pure, Go get those Midianites for that. And Moses spoke unto the people, saying, verse 3 of chapter 31, verse 3. And Moses spoke unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves in, unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe, he's spreading it out, of every of the 12 tribes, take a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel, shall you send to the war. So they're going to take 12,000 soldiers to attack Midian, their cities, which is on the east coast of the Jordan River. So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war. A thousand of every tribe, chapter 31, verse 6. And Moses sent them to the war. A thousand of every tribe. Them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war with the holy instruments. And the trumpet was sent to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses. And they slew all the males. They killed all the men. This happened other, later on in history when Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin rebelled against Israel. And Israel came in and killed every male. Every, every, every man who could sling a sword, they killed them all. And then they sent, for, their, for killing all the males of Benjamin, 
They sent all the all of the single men to Benjamin to find wives, to the country, the area of Benjamin. So here, they've killed all the men. Now, in, in history, they often would cut off an arm, put out an eye. That's going to happen right here in Jabesh Gilead. We'll talk about it later. But in Jabesh Gilead, they get surrounded, and they want to surrender. And, and the bad enemy says, uh, if you're going to surrender, you have to give the right eye of every one of your men. Okay, but give us a moment. And they snuck a spy out. And the spy went to King Saul, one of his first battles, if not his first. He blew the trumpet of war and they come and rescued the men of Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead. That's happened here in America. When my wife and I were visiting in the Southwest, one of the many places my mother lived, uh, in New Mexico or Arizona, I think it was New Mexico, uh, back in the 1500s, the Spanish, every, every male, I want to say Indian, but every male uh, warrior they would catch, they would cut off their right hand and put out their right eye. So they couldn't battle. It was their foot too. It would cut off one of their feet so they couldn't battle. That's, that's always been something in history. Well, we're going to do something like that here. Verse 7. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses. And they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian. Beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi, Rechem, Zur, and Hur, Reba, five kings of Midian. <gasps> Balaam. What's he doing there? He's hundreds of miles from home. But he's there in that city. He gets caught up in it all, and righteously so. Uh, Scholars believe it was his idea to send the Midianite women into infiltrate with the Jews that were over there in Jabesh Gilead. Well, they killed Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and they let and their little ones and they took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods and they burnt all their cities wherein they dwelt and even their castles with fire and they took all the spoil out of all the land both of men and beasts and they brought the captives and the prey and spoil to Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the congregation of the children of Israel now, they're going to split up the spoil, but that's not what they were told to do. They weren't told, they weren't told to bring all the women and children back. And that's what they did. And it was the women, the wiles of the women too. And I'm not so sure, I'm looking for little ears, I'm not so sure that there weren't in that day... There were many villages who were destroyed by STDs. And I'm not so sure that wasn't a protection against Israel for Israel 
They're going to kill a lot of the women who were part of that wiles thing that infiltrated the men of, uh, of Israel. They took all the spoil, verse 12, and they brought the captives and the prey and the spoil to Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the congregation. And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes. And Moses was mad with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands, etc., who came from battle. And Moses said unto them, why'd you save the women? Now, in our modern day and age, we would say, save the women and children. That's our culture. That's, where we, that's how we live. Uh, talking to some, and listening to a lot of the veterans, uh, their interviews, and those from World War II especially, they ask them, why'd you go? What were you thinking? I wanted to make America safe for my family. Saving I, th I fought for my wife and I fought for my children to survive. I fought for America to stay America. That's our culture today. But with God trying to keep a pure Israelite people as they start new, and oh, how I wish some of us would start new in our lives, <coughs> Start new as we move into the, the promised land of Israel. I wish, I, I, I wish for some of us that we could leave behind what was behind and go forward. God doesn't care. God doesn't care what your past was. If there's repentance, he only cares about your future. God cared about the future. From this morning's message, God cares about your future, our future. But from this morning's message, we talked about obedience. And there's, there's here, this is incomplete obedience. I don't want to read the passages. But this is incomplete obedience when they brought back all the women and the children. And they do, they do save many of the women and the children, but not the ones who polluted uh, the country over there in Jabesh, Gilead. So uh, those, those loose women, moral women, they, they were killed, no, no question. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But God had a purpose. And God had a reason. Now, so this morning, we were talking about complete obedience. The quote always is, incomplete obedience is not obedience. Skip ahead with me to, skip ahead with me to uh, a scripture found in 1 Kings. No, 1 Samuel. I'm in the wrong chapter here. 1 Samuel. When, when he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul. Saul wants to 
Saul wants to go and, and do this big battle, God says to him, kill all everything that breathes. Kill all the livestock. Don't bring anything back and meet me back here, Samuel says. If you're wondering, I haven't told you what chapter because I've forgotten. 1522. Yes, that's what I meant. If you look at chapter 1522, I want you to, I want you to be able to see what happened. Huh. I want you to go and defeat this enemy. Amalek, the Amalekites, have done you terrible wrong. I want you, Saul, who trusted very much in himself, in his own opinion, when he got there, there were hundreds of hundreds of thousands of livestock they could benefit from. Why not bring them all back? So God changed. So Saul changed God's word. It was a test. And he say, Saul failed the test. He brought them back all on his own. And he met, he met, he met the, uh, the prophet Samuel on the, at a deep, predetermined place. And it starts, it starts right here, verses 14 to 23. And Samuel said, What is the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and of the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to you, Lord, to the Lord, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. I'll say on. And Samuel said, when, wast, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Yes. When you, hadn't, when you became king, you got puffed up. Power puffs up. When you became king... You were chosen and you were meek. Remember, you were chosen, you were, you were chosen and you were shy and backward. But now that you've been king for a while, now you're changing God's word. And God wants obedience. Verse 19, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's defending himself. We, we have brought Agag, the king of, Amal of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed them. But the people, it was the people, they did it. They took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. And 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Closing with this comment again, incomplete obedience is disobedience. For us that were in the military, for us that were in the military, 
We weren't allowed to have incomplete obedience. It wasn't permitted. Why should it be allowed with God himself? Lord, we ask your blessings upon this time, upon your word, upon your Holy Spirit, changing, convicting, looking at us, Lord. And maybe some of us, maybe some of us, Lord, if just one of us, Lord, would be serious about change in our lives, bringing ourselves into submission and maybe making that vow to you to stop doing something, to start doing something, to never break that vow. And Lord, for complete obedience, not partial, ask you, Lord, to bless this time and using your Holy Spirit in our lives and hearts. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.